Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Win Today podcast, an inspirational and performance-focused podcast that will inspire you to win today by connecting with amazing leaders and sharing amazing stories. You will learn from some of the most intentional, disciplined, and heartwarming people on the globe, people who will propel you forward and give you tools to succeed in any situation. My name is Ryan Cass, and I am your host. It is my purpose in this world to inspire people to establish a foundation for sustained success and chart a desirable course for life. Thank you so much for tuning in. In order to help us grow, I believe the best gift is to give back. And if what you hear resonates with you and helps push you forward in life, then please help us grow and reach more people by subscribing to the podcast, sharing it, and if you feel led, clicking one of those buttons that has five stars and writing a review. Thank you so much. Let's connect with our guest. If there's one thing I love, it's having the opportunity to talk to inspiring people that know how to push past pain and really turn pain into into triumph. And it is an honor to have Shay Eskew on the podcast today. Shay is a proud father of five, a 45-time Ironman, proven executive sales leader, and a best-selling author of his book, What the Fire Ignited. Shay, honored to have you on board, man. Thanks, Ryan. I'm humbled and honored to be here with you today. Yeah, man. Let's let's get into it. Let's win today. This is my favorite question to ask that we covered a little earlier. What's something that you know a lot people can read a lot about you and and all of your athletic accomplishments, your endurance feats, and really, I would say how you've uh, deep defeated several odds. But what's something that isn't on your bio or resume that that makes you really proud, and why? You know, for me, honestly, it's being married 19 years, father of five under 16 as a kid dealing with my burn scars my whole life, childhood, never had a girlfriend. I never thought I'd get married, much less have kids, much less five, right? Uh, I guess I'm just an overachiever, but it's one of those things. It gives me the most pride when I think about them and my marriage, because especially in a country now where everybody's getting divorced, that it takes a lot. A lot of compromises and working together as partnerships, and it gives me the most um, satisfaction. I always find it to be the most beautiful thing when you're talking to someone that is so accomplished, and and it's very easy for us to focus on the accolades, and then they can say that you know what, it's not about the accolades. It's it's about my family. It's about that togetherness, that connectedness, and as someone that has come from a a broken family and, and seeing hearing you say that, you know, that's the most important thing to you. I think it just speaks volumes to your character with your family. I was listening to you on a podcast and you, and someone asked you what's, what's more difficult running Ironmans or raising five kids. And you said that Ironmans are actually the therapy and raising the five kids is, is more difficult. And then you said, the real Iron Man in the family is actually your wife. Absolutely. She's the glue that keeps it all together. Uh, 
you know, it's great for 90 plus percent of the time I'm fun dad, right? It's my job to come up with fun stuff for us to do trips and stuff. Um, she's the disciplinarian. She's the one that has the tough conversations that dad just doesn't do a good job of covering birds and bees and all the other issues. Um, she's incredible. And that's why I fell in love with her. You know, um, when we first started dating, I had a major surgery four months later after we started dating that went terribly wrong. And she was at my apartment every day helping me change my dressing. And I was like, mm. something to be said for her. Um, she would never describe herself as a caregiver. But man, when things are really bad, that's when she shines. And it's what attracted me to her. She's no stranger to hard work. And, you know, we talk about what people can achieve in the sporting world. But to me, that's just comes down to time and effort. Marriage isn't, you know, marriage isn't about how much time do you put into it? There's a lot of compromising, tough discussions and give and take. And that's why it means so much to me. My parents got divorced when I was four. So much like you, I've kind of seen it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Luckily, both of my parents are very loving and supporting. And it was a amicable separation that funny enough, 44 years later, they're back together again. But uh, wow. it's always something that resonated with me is, you know, having a life partner that's with you through thick and thin. Because when life gets tough, knowing you've always got somebody in your corner you can count on, and it just makes those things disappear, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, amen to that. And that's that's beautiful. And uh, you have a beautiful wife, by the way. I've seen the photos in the book, and it's and it's awesome, man. And I'll kick my coverage. What can you say? Is <laughs> you know, speaking of that, and just getting the keeping the family involved. I mean, I, I, a lot of your success, you can tie it right back to her. I read in the book that when you first started training for Kona, it was a thirty week plan, thirty week training plan, and the person that you got it from actually said, "Make sure that your spouse." is aware of this plan and what you're going to do because it's just as much on them as it is on you to execute that training plan and, and make sure they're that they're understanding, like talk through that a little bit. Yeah. And so it actually came from the book, be iron fit by Don Fink, former Ironman world champion years ago. And, and it's one of those, it's a big sacrifice for the whole family. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're putting in, like I was putting in, up to 25 hours a week max training when I was going to Kona. And so one of the things he suggested was like, show the 30 week plan. Say, what about this scares you? Right. And so her comment was, Hey, look, I'm worried about you taking away family time. I said, all right, got it. I'll be training first thing in the morning. I promise no training when I come home from work. And then the second part was it can be a very selfish sport. Right. And I said, what would you like in return knowing how much time I'm spending this? She was all right. Two days breakfast in bed. It's like done. So for 13 years, that's what we live by, right? Two days breakfast in bed. And so as long as I keep my end of the bargain, hopefully she will be supportive of this. Um, but you know, Ryan, one of the funny things that's interesting. So 2013, I was competing in Ironman 70.3 world championships. Mm -hmm. And it was in um Mont Blanc, Canada. And they were announcing the venue for the next year was going to be in Zellensiegel, Austria. When they announced it, my wife said, I want to go. And she goes, whatever it takes, you make it happen. I've put up with your shit all this year. You better make it happen. Uh -huh. So I went home, 
immediately called this guy Joe Friel, which is kind of like the father of power training. If you're familiar with power meters on bikes and I said, Hey, could I hire you to write me a plan? He said, I'm not coaching athletes, but here's my guy. Call this coach, Adam Zuko, former world champion. And it was amazing because my wife, like every night, Hey, did you get your workout in? You know, sometimes it's like nine o'clock. I'm trying to go to bed. And I said, babe, you know, I left the house at five. I had to fly to a meeting in Chicago. And she goes, get your ass down there because we're going to sell MC. And so I was like, you got it, babe. And that's what I needed. Having that accountability, yeah. somebody that's holding you, you know, to your commitment. Um, qualified for Worlds that year and every year since then. And it just means a lot. And so it's one of the things like, you know, when I'm tempted to skip a workout or it's hard or you're tempted to call it quits halfway through. I was like, like I got to do it for her, for the family, even though it, she could care less, honestly. I mean, she's not going to be upset if I didn't qualify, but it just makes me feel like there's a higher purpose and a higher calling to doing it. Yeah, man. Shout out to your wife. She really is the, the iron man and the oh, MVP. She's, she's amazing. Um, her personality She's one of those calls it how she sees it, right? No BS. She's never going to be the one say, oh, baby, you tried hard. I'm so proud of you. That's not her. He's going to say, what the hell are you doing? Like, What's going on? Yeah. Likewise, I'm with her, right? And that's the way we operate is, look, say what needs to be said. You know, we're in this together. That's awesome, man. I want to rewind the clock and go back to really the catalyst for for all of this. You know, and when you were eight years old, I understand it that there was a a freak accident in which you were going to help someone across the street put out a yellow jacket nest. And in doing so, you know, you were going to throw a match in hopes that this would make the the yellow jackets go away. And your neighbor threw a can of gasoline that then hit you and your friend set both of you guys into flames and led to some extensive hospital time and it was three minutes that changed the course of your life can we hear that from from your yeah. view yeah and just for clarification what really happened was my mom asked me to warn them about the yellow jackets now ah uh, and so, you know, if you think about it, what's interesting, I didn't even know how to strike a match. I had the most protective parents you ever met. Wasn't allowed to go to spend night parties, couldn't go to fireworks shows, right? Anything that was a chance of me getting hurt, I couldn't do it. And so I had went over there just to tell them about the Yellow Jackets nest. Mm. Dad wasn't home with the 15-year-old daughter said, hey, can you show it to me? And so we showed it to her. And what she did, she walked over, threw a match down. We're standing 10 feet away. And then when nothing happened, of course, a match in of itself does nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But without telling us that match is still flickering, she grabs a cup of gasoline, stands behind us, and pitches it. Again, all we were doing is watching. Mm -hmm. And so it splashed us, hit that match. We were immediately engulfed. Luckily, I stopped, dropped, and rolled, put mine out, got a water hose, and put my friend out. Uh, the girl's insurance company denied liability for it. We were soon told we had a $2 million hospital bill. We had no insurance. My dad's company only insured him, did not insure dependents. Fortunately for us, the Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati. Now, we were living in Atlanta at the time. 
but their hospital in Cincinnati for kids burn center heard about our story, relocated my mother and I from Atlanta to Cincinnati. So think about it. You're eight years old. You are now relocated 500 miles from everything, you know, Mm -hmm. friends, family. I didn't see anybody for three months. I was in the hospital. Didn't see any of my friends, a couple people from my family. My dad would drive up on the weekends. Uh, While I was there, my right ear had to be amputated. I uh, lost two skin grafts due to infection. Uh, by the time I left there, it was 65% of my body was permanently scarred. Uh, I've had to date over 40 surgeries now over the last 40 years. I had the last big major surgery in January last year. Uh, they basically took a huge section out of my back, probably four by eight inches with its own blood supply. They took it out of my back and just closed it up. And then they sewed it into my neck and reattached the blood vessels. And so this is phase one. And so now I got to have another surgery, probably March here in two months Mm -hmm. uh, to come in and give me some additional relief to my neck. But as you can imagine, the trauma was pretty extensive. You know, the first diagnosis was, Hey, look, you'll never be competitive in sports again. And the reason being is, so my right arm was physically melted to my body. It took three years for me to lift my arm over my head. Numerous surgeries where they would take skin off my legs and they would cut my armpit area and sew skin in there. And so each time they would do that, I gained a few additional inches of mobility. Uh, so that's just been a long, extensive process, right? Right, man. I mean, just thinking about that and then to hear that, this happened when you were eight. That was a just a few years ago, right? Yeah. And that the process is still ongoing. So pain pain has knocked at your door quite a bit. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize. So back in the early eighties, we didn't get pain medicine in the hospital. Yeah. I'm in a children's hospital. The strongest thing we ever got was extra strength Tylenol. Mm-hmm. They amputated most of my ear while I was awake. I remember them coming by with a pair of scissors because the gangrene was spreading and they'd clip it and they'd keep cutting until it started bleeding. They said, all right, now that's healthy tissue. Um, I remember twice a day you'd hear the entire hospital screaming when a stressing change. You know, now they put kids in induced coma. You know, people are like, that must be horrible. I was like, you know, at the time it was. But now that you look, you know what? None of us are addicted to opioid. We have a huge pain threshold. Like I've realized pain is just a mindset, right? It's It takes a lot for somebody to physically hurt me. Um, I've had a lot of injuries over the years, a lot of surgeries even beyond the burn ones. And, you know, you go through this stuff for a reasoning and you can look at, hey, why did it happen to me or did it happen for me? And I look at the whole process has made me a stronger person in my ability to be competitive in sports was in no part tied to natural athleticism. Mm-hmm. You know, the sports that I excelled in came down to highest pain threshold wins. It wasn't about who is the fastest or the strongest, it's who is slowed down the least and who is willing to keep getting back up and asking for more. Yep. I mean, that's, that's wrestling right there. We'll talk about that. But one thing you just said that stood out, things happen for us, not to us. Now, as an eight-year-old going through that initially, you know, I understand that going back to school was a little difficult and, and some kids gave you a, a tough time for a little bit. And then you, you learned how to flip the script. But at what point, Shay, were you able to look at this as 
a gift and something that that happened for you versus to you? Yeah, I wouldn't say I was able to fully look at it as a gift probably until God in my 20s. Right. Like, you know, people always say, hey, if you could go back and redo it, would you still walk across the street and tell them about the yellow jackets nest? And I said, look, if you asked me when I was 13, 18, 21, hell no. Like, who would do that? Why would you subject yourself to 40 years of pain? Right. Every day I wake up, I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm on the other side, it's like, absolutely, I would do it again. Name one thing I've liked I've ever missed out on. Right. I had a great career in sports, uh, professional career, got the girl of my dreams, kids. There's nothing I've ever missed out on. Did I have to work five times as hard as everybody else to be average? Hell yeah, I did. But it meant 10 times as much because I had to work so hard for it. But the challenge was when I went back to school, nobody looked like me. Nobody. You know, even to this day, I've never had another burn kid in the same school as me. Most people have never seen somebody with extensive burns. My mm-hmm. scars look nothing like they look now. They were over an inch thick, bright red. And fortunately for me, Wes Craven just released his movie Nightmare on Elm Street. And if you remember the show, you know, Freddy Krueger. And when I'd walked in the halls, complete silence. And then as you start to walk past people, you could hear whispers. And you knew who they were talking about. You could see them staring at you. And then every now and then you'd hear a kid, hey, Freddy. And to be honest, when I looked in the mirror, that's what I saw. I saw Freddy Krueger staring back at me. For years, I did not look at the right side of my face in the mirror because it reminded me of that horrible monster. But every night as I cried myself to sleep, you know, I begged and prayed for God to take it away, for my parents to make it better. and Nothing, right? And that's kind of when I came to the realization, look, this is my cross to bear. I'll be doing this the rest of my life. So if these people are going to laugh at you, beat them to the punch. Start to have fun with it. And so when those same kids would say, hey, Freddie, you know, I started saying, hey, yes, I'll see you in your dreams tonight. <laughs> uh, and then I even had people later, you know, because I didn't have a right ear up until I was 35. Mm-hmm. You know? So for all my childhood, never had a right ear. And people always want to point out the obvious. They come up, hey, where's your ear? And you're like, what are you talking about, dude? They're like, you don't have an ear. I was like, yes, I do. And then I'd reach out. I was like, oh, crap. What, what happened? You know, and you'd actually have people helping you look for it. I've told kids I hit my head on a diving board in a swimming pool. They were diving down looking for it. And that's what you realize. Look, you can't take away these scars. You're always going to care but have some fun with it. I mean, I've had kids convinced I was attacked by a shark. They wouldn't get in the ocean the entire vacation when they were in Florida. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love how you can flip the script. It just made me think about how at the Citadel, every company, every cadet company had a, a what we call attack officer. So basically, you know, a retired military member that was the, the mentor for this com- for this company. And one of the guys in our battalion, uh, Major John Craig, he had lost his leg in a uh, parachuting accident. Just a normal training jump too, not not a combat jump. Every time it would be cold out and we're going for PT. You know, we someone I heard one person ask him this, like, sir, aren't you cold? Because he was out there just in, in short sleeves and shorts. And it was like 30 okay. degrees out. 
And he's like, well, you know, only one of my legs get cold. <laughs> like he, yeah. he made, he made every opportunity that he could to have fun with the fact that he only had one leg. And I was like, that right there is life, man. Like you can, you can take, you could find a positive with, with anything in life. I'm sure you're familiar with, with Jocko Willink. Oh yeah. And you know, the whole good mentality, right? When, when something bad happens, like good, it gives me an opportunity to, to learn or good. Now I can make someone laugh and tell a joke. Good. I get to work harder to, to be able to compete. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful and, mindset. And that's what you realize is, you know, our own imperfections and insecurities. That's what it is. Like we project them out for everybody else. Once you're comfortable with who you are, people don't even notice it, right? It's not even an issue. Uh, like with my kids, they're so used to, you know, like uh, I went and spoke to my son's third grade class a couple of years ago. I was talking in the class and literally I'm five minutes into it. He goes, dad, take your ear off. They want to see it. I was like, okay. So I took my ear off and passed around the class. <laughs> and you should have seen the looks on the kids. The teachers are like, they didn't know what to say. And then that night at soccer practice, one of these parents comes up to me and goes, are you Maddox's dad? I was like, oh shit, what do he do? <laughs> and they said, no, we had a very interesting dinner conversation. They said Maddox's dad took his ear off and passed around the class. <laughs> you know, these are things like how many people can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's just, but that's what you got to do. I mean, life's too short to take yourself serious. Mm -hmm. You know, have fun with it. You know, poke fun at yourself and laugh at your own imperfections. Yeah, man. One of my one of my mottos is you only get you only get old if you grow up. You know, you yeah. can you can have fun forever. I, you know, I will say I thought growing up wrestling that cauliflower ear was the coolest thing ever. And when I first got it, I mean, my right ear like blew up and I had longer hair at the time. And I was like, oh, I'm a hard ass. Like I'm going to have yeah. the, you know, like Randy Couture formed ears. And, and my mom saw it one day after practice. And the next day, like she's going to get it. I'm right. going to get, I'm going to get it drained. And I go back to practice. They said, you can't go to practice. I said, the heck with that. Like, I'm going back to practice. And then it kept getting drained. And I was like, oh, how cool would it be to have cauliflower ear? And now I'm like, man, it'd be way cooler to be able to pass an ear around. The heck with that oh. beats, that beats cauliflower ear all day long. <laughs> but my wrestling coach got wind of my trick. So I went and bought a fake ear at Eddie's trick shop. So this was a fake ear with dried blood and hair on it. And I was going to put it inside my headgear. And I was going to start screaming in a match and throw it off and for the ear to come rolling off. And my coach said, Eskew, if you do that crap, you're off the team. Like, you will not embarrass us like that. <laughs> I was like, how many people can do that, right? I mean, most wrestling coaches are are pretty damn hardcore. So, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine that flying, you know, maybe in practice, but in a match. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm getting yeah. nightmares thinking if if I pulled a stunt like that, my coach would probably, yeah, it, it wouldn't be a good day the next day at practice for not just for me, but everyone. Yeah. Our coach, I mean, it was incredible. He's a hall of fame coach and, you know, it shaped me. I mean, he made men out of us, you know, and you probably know this or saw it, but you know, my oldest son is wrestling now. And it's one of the things that regardless of how successful he is, it's just the fact that you're willing to step on your, on the mat lay it out there for everybody. There's no timeouts. You can't point the fingers at somebody else when you're tired. You can't say, Hey, it's their fault. It's not mine. It's, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And mm -hmm. I'm excited just watching 
how much growth he's already had in the past few months doing it. I think that the Dan Gable quote, once you've wrestled everything else in life is easy. Like when you're, when you're going through tough times in an Ironman or some of the other just wicked endurance races that you've done, like it's like how much of your, of your endurance success do you tie back to the sport of wrestling? A lot of it's, you know, I tie back to wrestling. You tie back, you know, those matches you had where you thought you didn't stand a chance and somehow you pulled a rabbit out of a hat, pinned a guy or whatever it was. Um, but it also comes back to a lot of the training I do, right? There's some stuff I do, like, I, you know, 10 o'clock at night, went downstairs and ran 15 miles on the treadmill. It's not because I needed to for my physical fitness, but it was for the mental fitness. Mm-hmm. I said, when you get deep into a race or any kind of long endurance competition, you're tempted to quit. And when you intentionally put yourself in those situations and practice, that's what you reflect on. Right. When you're three hours or five hours into a race, you say, hey, remember those nights when you went down and did this when you should have went to bed? And that's what I think about. You know, I think about to all the people that are counting on me. I've got my kids at home. I know we're going to ask, hey, daddy, how'd you do? How could I ever tell them I've quit? I've done 90 triathlons. I've never not finished. Knock on wood. But, uh, you know, in one of them, I had to run six miles barefoot pushing my bike. But all I could think about was, how do I go home and tell my daughter I did not finish? She's not going to understand daddy had three flat tires and there was no way he could finish. Yeah, especially when you've got a a driving force like that or a why like that. I don't see how you could possibly stop. And that's what gets me with people like that do these endurance or just sports in general. They have that mindset that, well, if I can't be top 10, I'm quitting. It's like, is that your approach in life? If you're not top 10, you just quit. Hmm. You know, for me, it's always, hey, I finish what I start, regardless what place it is. Do I want to be on the podium? Absolutely. But I'm always going to finish what I start. And you'd mm-hmm. be amazed what happens in life. You do that. Like, you know, I referenced that race a while ago. USA Triathlon heard about me running the six miles barefoot, pushing my bike. I thought I was going to be top 10 in the world in that race. I finished fourth from last. Wow. But when they heard about my story, they put me on the cover of their magazine. My story went to 195,000 people. But think about that. If I was top 10, nobody would know my story. But the fact I was willing to finish what I started, it spoke to so many people because I still have people today come up and say, hey, thank you. I was going through divorce. I lost a loved one. I was battling cancer, addiction, you name it. I needed that reminder that I can always push through and get to the end. And that's what people need to know in life is no matter how hard it is, I assure you somebody else is going through something just as bad, if not worse. They're not only surviving, but they're thriving. Yeah. And that's what you got to remember, right? It's have perspective, you know, like my kids, as much as I love them, there's times you're like, God, you're driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. But then I remind myself, how many people that couldn't have kids, how many people that lost a kid, would love to have five bratty kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like, man, I'm so lucky, right? And, and you need those reminders. Like yeah. you know, when my legs are hurting from running, I'm like, how many people without legs would love to have sore legs? Mm-hmm. Right? It's a blessing. So for me, it's always trying to have that sense of perspective of when you're feeling down or sorry for yourself, you know, flip that switch. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm and like, I'm hearing that I'm hearing that, okay, regardless of, of what we're going through right now, there's going to be someone that would, would kill for your situation. Yeah. Right. I think that's what, I mean, literally probably, but in addition to that, like another thing to, to push forward is tie some sort of, of deeper meaning behind anything that you're doing. Right. So even in your case, like the Iron Man, okay, well, let's, let's look a little deeper. Well, okay. I, I think what I'm hearing you say is, well, I, w- I would love for my kids to, to see that dad is setting the example that you, you push past pain, like in, in, you push past any obstacle, whether they're going to go be Iron Man or wrestle or just in life, like you're setting examples for life. And when you have some sort of uh, deeper meaning behind that or why, like why are goals on your goal board? Like what's the real reason? What's the real importance for even wanting to run the Boston Marathon? Because I want to show that, you know, even after getting hit by a car and being hospitalized multiple times, you still go out and get it and, and anything is possible. You know, it might not happen right when you want it to or how you want it to, but you keep going. That's what I heard you say. I mean, those are the things that mean the most to us, right? When we're sitting around talking about remember when we're telling about the hardships in life. We're not saying, Hey, remember when this just fell into my lap, that doesn't bring us joy. I mean, it's cool, but we take a lot of pride in when we work through hardship. So that's true. Why do we shy away from hard things? Uh, and like for me with my kids, it's one of those, I'm a believer. I try to teach them by doing as opposed to telling. And so I want to know when they get up, they say, man, dad's already been working out two hours before I even got up. Right. Like I don't have to tell them how important exercise is. They see it because I'm doing it. When they see other dads just sitting at home watching TV, but their dad's out running a marathon. They're like, hey, this is normal running, exercising, pushing yourself. You know, one of the things that gave me a lot of joy, I was competing in Ironman in Edinburgh, Scotland. Miserable conditions. I mean, it's typical Scottish weather, right? It was July 3rd. And I was suffering from, wasn't able to go to the bathroom, to say that, but for a week and a half, right? There was an issue leading into that that was the opposite. And I was in so much pain, couldn't even bend over time, my shoes hardly. But I said, man, I started the race. You know, I signed up, I got to finish and when I was doing the uh, the run, I saw my wife out there with all the kids. It's raining. It's, you know, 50 degrees. So I stopped the race, ran over, hugged her, kissed her, high-fived all my kids. And, you know, and, of course, they're like, Dad, hurry up. You got to get back in there and catch him. And a week later, he wrote a paper for school that says, have you been to Europe? I have. And then he talked about the Ironman in Edinburgh. And he drew a picture of me running in the race. And he's talking about how sweaty dad was. And dad came over and high-fived us. I was like, that's the stuff they remember. Yeah. You know, I can never tell them how important it is. You have to go do it. And so I had that picture he drew in my pain cave. And it's reminded me, look, this is what you're working for. Man, I'm fired up. One thing I, I when I was doing my prep, and we talked about this before, is you know how do you really create that? culture of perseverance at home and it's it's by doing but is there is there anything else that you you strive to create at home with your family to ensure that you know hey this is this is the way yeah i mean we do a lot of stuff i mean it's silly stuff like every friday we do mexican and margaritas right it's a big pastime of ours and on the way home i would stop 
it's four tenths of a mile home. I'd make all the kids get out of the van and run home. <laughs> and if they had friends, if they had cousins, everybody had to get out and run home. The rules are once you're out, you can't get back in. I don't care how long it takes you to get home. We're driving home. We'll see you there. Uh, you know, and just like uh, a few weeks ago, I was looking for something for my boys to do. I've got a 10, 12, 14 year old boys. So Sunday morning, I said, Hey boys, y'all want to make some money? I said, all right, but you got to go 10 miles. I said, here's how you get to this destination. You got to go through the woods, follow these trails. Call me if you get lost. They packed their own bags and left. You know, they did the 10 mile hike. My wife's like, what the hell are you doing? You can't send them <laughs> off. I was like, hey, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. And they did. You know, they t- they were so excited about it when I posted about it, all these other parents. Hey, can you let my kids tag along next time for these kind of stuff? And it's doing things like that. You know, like if they want to get a ice cream, I said, what are you willing to do for it? Dad, I'll do a five minute wall squat or I'll do a three minute plank. And so we do physical challenges. If you want to get stuff like that, it's just kind of what they expect. I love I, it, man. I'm, t- I'm taking notes for, for whenever my time comes, man. Like that's, that yeah. is so cool. Cause like, I don't want to force it on them. I would, absolutely love for you know if god blesses me with a son or actually no a daughter too like whatever he blesses me with that they wrestle but maybe they don't want to but that they if anything it's that they're resilient right yeah. and and they're gonna see that okay i'm pushing forward and you know and and creating these challenges like making it fun man that's so cool that's so cool I mean, we do stuff like have you ever played freeze out no what's that so you wait till it's below freezing outside and then when you get in the car, you got to roll all the windows down and cut the air up fully. <laughs> and so you drive around till somebody starts screaming, they can't take it, you know, and it's usually my wife or my mother-in-law screaming, put the windows up. But we'll drive around like my boys. We drove around like for an hour with the windows down. It was like 20 degrees outside. You know, I love it. Usually I'd only do that when, uh, when I'm driving real long and I got to like, wake up cause it'll wake you up. But for me, I, mean, I love stuff like that where now, I mean, I, I pretty much all year long, it don't matter what the temperature is. I'll run no shirt, even yeah. this morning, 32 degrees. I'm out there because you never know, like it prepares, the stuff prepares you for life, man. And not, not just the races, but you don't know if God forbid, maybe you get trapped in a, in an ice storm because you're, and you got to yeah. go get somewhere. You know, and, and you put your body, you expose your body to the elements like, hey, you're ready. Or when life itself gets real difficult, things happen in the family, like you are ready because of these physical trials that you're putting yourself through. And and even now, like I do cold showers, I absolutely hate it. And you realize, oh, you know what? It's it's not that bad. Once you just put the put the left foot in front of the right foot or just let the water hit you, man, like this stuff ain't going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, just, just I keep think going, key, right? Just introducing stuff like that daily, weekly basis is to kind of build up that resistance. Uh, yeah, we love it here. That's awesome, man. You would, you would love. Uh, I just had Joe DeSena, the founder yeah, I mean, and CEO, Joe's a good friend of mine. I just had him on the podcast, and I'm like, oh my god, man! You, you're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text him after this that that uh, that I had you on because I'm like. I, the more I hear you talk, I'm like, you've either got to know him or 
something because I hear what he does with the kids at the farm and it's, it, it's the coolest thing ever. That video is hilarious. These kids are crying. And I mean, like Joe, I went to go see Joe. He invited me up to the farm and I just had torn rotator cuff surgery a month before. Right. He didn't care. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So, you know, I'm trying to do stuff with one arm. And then he's like, all right, we got to hike the mountain. So that's his big thing, right? So it's snowing. And so everybody's got to carry something. So he gives me a 40-pound medicine ball. He goes, look, it won't hurt your shoulder just to hold it. You don't have to lift it up. Just carry it. And so I'm carrying a 40-pound medicine ball. And I can't physically even move my shoulder because I just had rotator cuff surgery. And then Joe and uh, our buddy Marco were dragging an 80-pound chain up the mountain. Uh, but that's Joe. I mean, he lives for that stuff, right? Yeah. Like I did his uh, uh, Spartan World Championships at Lake Tahoe 2019. This is right before I had surgery. So I had a torn rotator cuff. and We get to the top of Squaw Valley, so we run up the resort mountain. Mm-hmm. There's an optional swim. I was new to Spartan, so I didn't know that anything's optional. All I knew was Joe was going to ask me about it. And so I didn't have a bag or anything. So I just dove into the pond with all my clothes on. It's like 38, 39 up there, 30 mile hour winds. <laughs> so when I get out, I have nothing to dry off on, right? I'm shivering for at least the next hour and a half. Teeth chattering. I had two fingers that were contorted. I couldn't straighten them out. And I just kept saying, look, you got to keep running. You got to get your core body temp up. So as soon as I finished, I texted Joe and said, hey, thanks for that little swim at the top was that you know i was able to get the dirt off my clothes appreciate it (laughs) i love it yeah when i when i had him on he invited me up to the to the spartan death race so (laughs) i'll be going up there this year you know after after boston start getting ready for the death race yeah it's gonna be a good time speaking of endurance one thing that you're getting ready to do is a 7x challenge in february and correct me if i'm wrong but what I remember seeing is that is seven marathons, seven swims, seven continents, seven jumps in seven days. You're correct. Uh, a buddy of mine, Ryan Birdman Parrot, reached out to me uh, a year ago in November and said, hey, I got this crazy idea. I want to do an, a SEAL challenge, sea, air, land. So I want to skydive, marathon, swim. All seven continents, seven days. I'd love for you to be one of our pacers on the marathon. I was like, really? <laughs> you know, like I run, but I don't really enjoy running. I love the feeling I get from running. But I was like, man, how do you say no to something like that? You know, my right. wife's like, easy. No. <laughs> but I said, hell yeah, I'm in, dude. And so we leave Valentine's, you know, February 14th to go start this, uh, the amount of people on this team, their talent level, you know, we've got a Navy SEAL, Delta Force, a Ranger, and just the support staff. I mean, it's unbelievable. But all this is for to raise awareness for veterans' mental health. Uh, I didn't realize it. Over four times as many first responders or active service members and veterans have taken their life than have died in 9-11 since, right? So you're talking about combat and 9-11. There's more people that have died taking their life. It just shows you how big of a deal mental health is, especially yeah. if they are 
service men and women. And so we're doing this. We're undergoing extensive testing, experimentation, supplementation. I mean, it's unreal the stuff we're going through just to kind of figure like, what can we do that can help people better adapt? What are some recovery systems out there? Um, you know, they're doing brain scans. I mean, you name it, we're doing it right now. Yeah, man. Well, I look forward to to keeping up with, with the journey there and the swim through Antarctica. I'm curious about that. <laughs> I don't even want to know. It's one of those, like, please don't tell me. I think honestly, that one's probably more of a plunge than a real swim. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, man, you're going to have Wim Hof meet you out there. Like that's, that's nuts. But I mean, ultimately I would love to go do a, an Ironman event there. Um, yeah. Place I haven't done one. Mm-hmm. It. And so that was kind of, you know, Ryan's pitch to me was, Hey, you can use this as a um, testing, right. To figure out what it would be like for you to run, bike and swim there. Yeah, man. Well, we'll be, we'll be cheering you on. I'm sure there's a way to follow that. Or, yeah. If or you go something. on Instagram, it's, seven X dot project. Um, that's the easiest way. And we're making a documentary as part of this. Uh, I mean, some of the people we've got, I apologize. I can't remember her name right now, but she holds the world record for running, running a mile in a bomb suit, which weighs anywhere from 150 to 200 pounds. So she's going to attempt to run a mile in the bomb suit on every continent with us. That's awesome. And, you know, they've got a team of wingsuit, um, and world champion skydivers, you know, that are part of the skydiving team. I mean, it's, it truly is epic. Can't wait to see it, man. Now, everything that we've been talking, we've covered a lot between family and overcoming uh, extreme difficulties and now these endurance events and haven't really touched too much on, on your business career, but with that, on top of all of this or with all of this, you know, you've, you've had a, a very successful career in various industries. And one thing that I really like to get to know from people is with that, you know, that requires crafting a, a system for success because that's you, your training alone is a job when it comes to balancing everything and crafting systems for success. What does that look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I've spent the last 13 years in healthcare, um, I'm a sales executive, so we partner with health systems around the country, helping them get the money they're entitled to or owed, you know, specifically by insurance companies. But for me, a sales career really is a good dovetail from endurance training. It all comes down to time management, setting goals. And so I'm very regimented with my time. I tell people, look, people always reach out. Hey, let's let's go hang out, watch the Monday night. I was like, I don't have time for that. Right. Um, you know, I'm running during my lunch breaks. Um, so if it's not business related, I'm not sadly can't just hang out. Uh, so, but my day starts at four, you know, four 30 here now. Um, it's very regimented. Everything's scheduled out. I think that's the key. Right. And so it makes it easy that when people say, Hey, do you want to do this? You just look at, is this in alignment with my goals? Is this going to help me further my career, build some relationships, or help me become a better father, husband, or propel me in endurance racing. If not, sorry. Yep. Makes it very easy. And I think that's what a lot of people have trouble doing is saying no to mm-hmm. things. They say, yeah. well, if somebody asked me, I got to do it. And I was like, that's not how life works. 
Like you have the right to say no. And you realize it's so empowering once you do it. Mm-hmm. And people respect that, right? And then those you do give your time, I think they are usually pretty good stewards of it. You know, when people yeah. are trying to get started or, hey, would you mind sharing some guidance? I meet with people all the time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to hang out, I just don't have that time and luxury. Yeah. And like I tell people, look, you know, ideally my time's focused on my family. And so mm-hmm. the time I spend with you is stealing time away from them. And I think that's yep. what you to be mindful of is, but, you know, when you start setting those things that like, what, uh, what am I willing to sacrifice? You got to also know, what are you not willing to sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not willing to sacrifice time away from my wife and kids. Yep. And so I get offers all the time. Hey, let's go do this cool trip. And, you know, I got to be very selective because if I'm going to be away from them, it's got to be something incredible. Right. The 7X met that criteria. Um, there's just as many of these I turned down because it takes me away from my family. Right. Right. Well, again, going back to that family being number one, I love that. And I love the, the power and simplicity because you didn't offer a complex method there. You offered reflection and you said a simple, you posed a very simple question. Does this align with my goals? Yes or no. Is this what's really important to me? One thing I've learned is, you know, I tell people, hey, this this doesn't align with my priorities. And for a while, like it, it, it was tough for me to say no. And I'm like, oh, they're going to think I'm a prick or something like that. And, and people actually respect that when they say, no, no, it's just this doesn't align with my goals. And I'm not sorry. It just it doesn't align. And, and that's that. And I think the more you practice even saying it, the comfort level with that increases. And people just know like, hey. Shay's Shay's got his thing. Ryan's got his thing. They're they're wanting to impact their be there for their family or impact lives in this manner. That's just what it is, man. Yeah, and you're gonna get some haters out there. Like in my business, you know, people all the time they stay up late drinking and hanging out. I'm like, dude, I'm getting up early to go train. Mm-hmm. You know, you make fun of me in my spandex pants out here. Great. Hey, <laughs> I'm just proud I can put on spandex pants and not be afraid <laughs> to walk around in public. You know. Yeah. Uh, to me, I mean, that's just what you got to think about. Like, what do you want to be known for? Because I can tell you, you know, so many people put focus on their sports, you know, and I tell everybody, look, we're amateurs at best. We're weekend warriors. We're not winning money. We're not. And do we think our kids really care? Then they no. They never say, man, I'm so proud of dad. Look at all his medals. What they look at and say, hey, my dad was there for my wrestling and my soccer games. And my dad showed me how to ride my bike. And my dad took me you know, hiking in Yellowstone. Those are the things they care about. Yeah. So I always ask people, look, with all this stuff you're doing, is that really going to make you happy? And that's what you got to reflect on. Because one of the things I've read is, you know, a lot of these people's books that we regard as, you know, some of the best in the industry. And they're miserable because they spend all their time focused on making it without realizing they lost everything that really mattered to them, which yeah. was their family. And so what's the point of being successful if you're lonely and miserable? Right. I'm right. not saying to be married, but I'm saying think about what matters to you. And if you're on the podium, but you're all alone in life because you're miserable chasing this, where does that get you? Powerful questions. Powerful questions. So one thing that I like to wrap up with, Shay, is a, a rapid fire session. But before we get there, I want to make sure that 
people know where to find you, how to support you. And I also want to uh, throw a plug out for, for the book, what the fire ignited, grab a copy of this guys. It is there's, it's packed with some incredible stories. A lot of things that, that we didn't hit on in the conversation, but when you see that it will blow your mind as to, as to what's possible and, and that anything can be created with the right mindset. That's going to be linked in the notes, but uh, beyond that, where can we find you? How can we best support you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just at Shay, S-H-A-Y-E-S-K-E-W. Um, Facebook, it's Shay S-Q, letter S, letter Q. That's the phonetic spelling of my name. And then Instagram is at Mr. Shay S-Q. So you'll see me out there. Um, everything's out there from my dog grabbing a hold of my prosthetic ear the other night and chewing <laughs> the back end of it off. Uh, you know, to kids doing what they do, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on LinkedIn. If y'all are on LinkedIn, Shay is one of my favorite people to follow and keep up with. So go check him out. So the rapid fire session, there's three questions. I call it one gem, one step, one book. And the way it works is someone gets in an elevator with you. They recognize you. And they ask you a question. The only amount of time you have to answer the question is how long it takes to go up one elevator flight. So not much time. So someone jumps in and they say, Shay, I listened to your podcast on Win Today. It's awesome. Like, What's one gem that you have in your back pocket, whether it's a quote, piece of wisdom, anything like that, that will help ignite my mindset? To me, it's figuring out what do you want your legacy in life to be? Once you know that, you can figure out what the plan needs to be. Beautiful. What's one step that I can take today to be able to push past anything that life may throw at me in the future? I think it's committing to exercise 30 minutes every day for a month straight. Then once you do that, you'll realize it wasn't as hard as you thought it was. And then say, all right, now I'm going to do it for two months and just keep building on it. Don't try to solve too much at once, right? Baby steps. Yeah. Yeah, but go get you some. What's one book besides yours that someone can read to enhance their mindset? I really like the book. It's called The One Thing. It basically says, if you look at all aspects of your life, there's one basic component. If you master that, everything else flourishes. And so for me in sales, my one thing was getting in front of people. I realized if I can get in front of you, I'm going to be a lot more successful. I'm going to make an impression. I love it. The one thing. Shay, it was an honor to have you on the show. I love how you have turned pain into a friend, really, and and leveraged it and, and shown us that and how, how we can do it too and apply that in our lives. And I love how you are so dedicated to your family and, and that you create this culture of, of perseverance by simply by doing. And I think that that's a, a model standard for, for all of us, whether you have a family now or you're thinking about the type of family you want to have in the future. So thank you all for tuning in. Keep up with Shay and win today.